to an end. And I saw the thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and they shall reign with him a thousand years. And Father, as we turn in and tune in to your word, Lord, would you help any here today who have their own theological persuasion, Lord, just to move away from that and allow your word to speak to them. Lord, we want to be in that place where you speak and not where man. And so, Lord, accomplish your purposes today in our lives for your kingdom and for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. The deceiver has been locked up. We saw that last week. So he is no longer able to deceive those dwelling on the earth for a thousand years. And when that happens, Jesus, the suffering servant that came 2,000 years ago to pay the punishment and the penalty for the sins of the world, he will come a second time. And he'll set up his rule in Jerusalem as the ruling, reigning king of all kings and lord of all lords for a thousand years. But is this really all going to happen? If you simply read the scriptures simply, you come up with a big, fout, resounding, of course it is, bub, it's going to happen. But not everyone in Christianity believes that. Today, there's those that say, no, this is all figurative, spiritual, doesn't take place. Just for the record, cults believe that as well. I'm not calling them a cult, but I'm just saying they believe the same as the cults do. So let's Throw in and out the controversy just for the sake of, well, you may have that background in your life. You may have grew up in that denomination, or you may have people that you work with, or neighbors, and they may not know anything but what they know, and you may be the one to say, oh, no, no, this is all literal, so let's deal with the controversy. Does this thousand-year reign take place when the devil is locked up and is no longer able to deceive the people? Well, it depends upon who you ask. There are three different main views. Of course, there's a lot of little sub-views, but there are three main views in the church as to when or as if this will happen. Pre, and, and I trust you'll be able to figure out what we as Calvary Chapel believe. Premillennialism is a literal interpretation of the Bible. What the Bible says is what it means. Premillennialism believes that Jesus will physically and visibly come to the earth in his second coming before the thousand-year period starts and at the end of the seven-year tribulation period where Jesus defeats all of it at Armageddon. When Jesus returns and steps down at the, on the Mount of Olives at the end of that seven-year tribulation period, and as he steps down, the Mount of Olives is split in two, and he walks into Jerusalem to set up his kingdom 
because Satan has been tossed in the abyss for a thousand years and he will rule and reign for a thousand years and there'll be relative peace on this earth. God promised the Jews a nation and that he would rule and reign from Israel. That is what everyone in Jesus' first coming were looking for, remember? Hey, are you going to set up the kingdom now? I mean, that's what everyone was looking for. But that was not at his first coming. His first coming was to deal with sin. But at his second coming, he will set up and he, he, will, prom- he will deliver what he promised to the nation of Israel and he will rule from Israel. The literal view of Scripture is, is, it is all of this is really going to happen. Israel will be the world's superpower as Jesus reigns here for a thousand years. This is a non-negotiable, non-negotiable viewpoint of all Calvary chapels. At least it's supposed to be. What the Bible really says is what the Bible really means. When the Bible says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Postmillennialism is another view. It's very popular in the 19th and 20th century. It has returned to what is now called kingdom theology, which is the belief that Christians need to will take over various elements of society and governments and fill them with Christian ideals and people and then present this world back to Christ. How are they doing today? I trust you can see they're not doing real well. Amillennialism is another view today. This view declares all of this is figurative and it is very popular here in the South. They say all of this is a spiritual return of Jesus, not a physical return of Jesus. Amillennialism teaches we are living in the millennial reign of Jesus Christ right now. How's that working for you? Well, if the devil's bound, spiritually speaking, like we saw last week in the first three verses, I'm pretty certain I've had many opportunities to be deceived ever since I became a believer. How about you? They believe the kingdom age began when Jesus died on the cross. If their view is correct, team, listen now, you need to know this. Tell your neighbor, listen up. Tell your other neighbor, you need to know this. If their view is so prevalent here, that is so prevalent here in the South, if their view is correct amongst Christians, because they're Christians, they're going to heaven, they're just wrong in their theology. If their view is correct that we are presently living in this kingdom age when Jesus rules, then why did Jesus take so much time and have John write the book of Revelation? If none of it's going to happen. Someone answer me that, please. I'm millennials. Why did Jesus have John write the book of Revelation if none of it's going to go down? I'd love to hear that answer. They him and ha around the question. Amillennialism has to throw out or change so many unfulfilled prophecies. Like in Zechariah where Jesus steps down on the Mount of Olives and it splits in two and he walks in Jerusalem. Doesn't happen. It means something different. Really? Wow, I'd love to hear that. This view also believes that God will not fulfill his promises in Israel. Ah, they had their shot. They blew it. They teach that they had their chance and rejected it by crucifying Jesus. Thus, God, God is all done with Israel, and all the promises for Israel are now associated with the church. Man, that, that is so inconsistent with the Scriptures. Plus, if God is done with Israel because they blew it so many times, how come he's not done with you? Because you and I, we've blown it just as many times. 
See, the, the view is so whacked in so many ways. This view holds that Israel gets the curses that God promised if they disobeyed while the church gets the blessings. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm not really sure the church is nailing it like Israel was nailing it in their day. So you decide. Are we the church, spiritual Israel today? Did God just write off his chosen people? Well, the answer to that is it's not very hard to figure out if you just let the Bible speak for himself. Actually, it's quite simple. So simple a child could understand it. So first spot, Jeremiah chapter 33. Please spin all the way back to the middle of your Bible. I'll put you in the Psalms. You'll find the Proverbs and, and Song of Solomon and Ecclesiastes, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Big books. You can't miss them. Isaiah chapter 33. You have to see this because you need to know what you know, church. Because there's people who are believing this, that all of it's figurative. So why should I live for Christ if all of this is figurative? Why should I be living as if we're living in the last days if all of this is figurative? Well, I shouldn't be. And thus the church is all whacked out because of it. Why should there be a sense of urgency to get out and share with people if all of this is figurative? Well, there shouldn't be. Why do I want people to leave my church if it's not really going to happen? Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 23. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Have you not considered what these people have spoken? And these people we're going to discover are false prophets. Have you not considered what these people have spoken, saying the two families which the Lord has chosen, he has also cast them off. Thus they have despised my people as if they should no more be a nation before them. This is what the false prophets were saying in Jeremiah's day when Israel was carried away captive to Babylon. See, Daniel is in the palace in Babylon. Ezekiel's in the, out in the fields of Babylon. Jeremiah's back in Jerusalem. All of them were contemporaries all at the same time. And the false prophets were saying, hey, look, God's done with this. We had our chance. We blew it with the worship of idols and everything. Well, God answers that nonsense in verse 25. Thus says the Lord, if... If, okay, that's like circle if. If my covenant is not with day and night, and if I have not anointed the ordinances of heaven and earth, then I will cast away the descendants of Jacob and David my servant, so that I will not take any of his descendants to be rulers over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If day and night disappear, then my covenant with Israel will disappear. Do we still have day or night team? Okay, really, seriously, do we have day or night team? Okay, I hope, I hope we all, I hope that's not like a trick question, okay? Because look, that's what this is declaring here. Then God's promises with Israel stand, and for further proof of that, look at verse 26. For I will cause their captives to return and will have mercy on them. So the false prophets were saying God is done, and the Lord God Almighty responded, with a local application, he would bring them back into the land and have mercy on them and a long-term application that as long as there is day and night, his promises to Israel and David will stand. You need to know that. Many people believe that David will rule over Israel during this thousand-year reign because the Bible says you and I will come back as priests and kings and we'll rule. Personally, I want Antarctica. You can take whatever you want. Don't take Maui or any of those islands because they've all disappeared. Now, next stop, back up two pages. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 35. Again, 
So simple, a child can understand this. If you just let him speak for himself. Jeremiah 31, 35. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea, God does that, and its waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from me, says the Lord, and that, see that capital L-O-R-D? That's the Lord God Almighty. That's Yahweh. That's the supreme name of God. If those ordinances depart from, from me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Okay, I'm trusting you're going to do real good on this. Do we still have a sun? Yes. How about a moon? Anybody seen any stars lately? Yes. Have you ever noticed any waves on the ocean? Yes. Well, some of you have died out by the time we got to the waves. <laughs> hey, then God's, then the God of the Bible's covenant with Israel still stands. Regardless of what man thinks today, do not be deceived, team. It's not subject to man's interpretation of the passage. Because if that's true, then we might as well be a cult and we can make it say whatever we want it to say. You can't do that. Even though they still do it like crazy today. One last place of many to look at. And we can spend the whole... And at first I was thinking, well, we should spend the whole Sunday on this. But it's like, now you can go look them up if you want. They're everywhere. Isaiah chapter 54. Spin backwards about 30 pages. 20 if you got fine print. 40 if you got big ones. Isaiah 54, you may have a heading above this chapter, something like a perpetual covenant of peace. Anybody have that by chapter 54? Okay, so it's pointing to Israel. Others might say the church comforted. Anybody have that on their heading? Nobody. I should have looked to see what Bible that was I own. Nobody has the church comforted for a heading for, for uh, Isaiah 54? Well, okay, anybody have a New American Standard Bible? That doesn't say the church comforted? The what? Okay, how about, does anyone have NIV? Does it say church comforted? What does it say? Oh. Huh. I might have to go back and check my Bible. Because, I, you know, I looked at the ones I used to read. Because, see, that what happened was the Bible publishers took the liberty and they removed Israel and put the church in its place. Why, why did they do that? Because of their political persuasion. Because, or political, <laughs> sorry. Because of their theological persuasion. So you can go back and read all of this uh, chapter 9, but let's pick up at verse 5. For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth, for the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a youthful wife, wife when you were refused, says your God. Now, if you stop there, all of this could be assigned to the church today. But the thought does not end there. Look how it finishes. For a mere moment I have forsaken you, but with great mercies I will gather you. Now, something should stand out to you right there. So let me ask you, if all of this points to the church and not to Israel, then when did Jesus forsake us, his bride? Come on, give, give me a time. Give me a Bible verse. You've got to point to something. Please show me one verse, a half a verse, a quarter verse that says Jesus for a mere moment has forsaken us. 
I'll show you this, Hebrews 13, 5. Let your conduct, church, be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself, speaking of Jesus, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor... Wow, we have a contradiction in the Bible. We found our first heir or their theological view is wrong. Again, they're wrong. Verse 7 again. For a mere moment I have forsaken you, but with great mercies I will gather you. With a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment, but with the everlasting kindness I will have mercy on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. Listen now. For this is like the waters of Noah to me. What happened then? Flood. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, God said he would never flood the earth. He made the rainbow as a sign or a covenant, as a reminder that he would never do that. So have I sworn that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has mercy on you. Listen, if you let those scriptures just speak for himself and not impose man's ideas or theological persuasions on them, this is very clear. This is all Israel here. Can you see it? Anybody confused? Remember, the best way prophecy should be taken and looked at is with a literal approach to the scriptures. See, a literal approach to the book of Revelation fits if you just let the scriptures speak for themselves. Otherwise, you're wiping out almost all of the book. Because from chapter 6 to 19, that's the seven-year tribulation period. Oh, they don't believe that happened. Because they believe we're already in the thousand-year reign or the millennial reign of Christ. So, so they basically take chapter 6, and I don't know what they do with 4 and 5. I tried to ask a friend of mine, but he never got back to me. I don't know what they do with chapters, the first few, but they take chapter 6 all the way up to 20, and I don't know if they believe there's a new heaven and a new earth. My guess would be they don't. But they, I know for certain they take chapter 6 to 20 and they toss it. It's all figurative. What a waste of time God spent with John writing all that down. But see, a literal, literal approach to the book of Revelation works if you just let him speak. Jesus Christ establishes his kingdom in chapter 20. After a thousand years of peace on earth, heaven and earth are destroyed. And in chapter 1, we see a new heaven and a new earth. And within that new heaven, John saw the holy city. This literal view is consistent with early church history. Listen, until 300 AD when the church joined the Roman government and the church became the state religion. Then all of a sudden, these ulterior views started coming as the church Rome joined the Roman government. I trust you can connect the dots there. It's important to remember that the Scripture must always be interpreted literally or like I said, man, you can make it say whatever you want it to say. If the thousand years doesn't mean a thousand years, then what does it mean? Uh, golly, I don't know. I never really thought about that. When the Bible is viewed literally, then what you're saying is, is all of this will occur, occur as the Scriptures say. There will be a real kingdom of Israel for Israel in Jerusalem from the throne of David by the Messiah for a thousand years. Plus, who wants to add to or take away from the book of Revelation? Any takers? I mean, go to the end of the book. The final words of Jesus at the end of the book of Revelation reads like this. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. 
And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Hey, I'm not adding, and I'm not taking away. We're going to let everything stand on its own. So don't let the devil lie to you thinking that none of this is true. Because if the book of Revelation is not all true, then how do you know the rest of the Bible is true? Welcome to Christianity Day. It's all subject to man's interpretation, it seems like, in so many places today. Now, if you read ahead, you might be thinking, why do we need this thousand-year reign on earth? Why does God bother to set up this kingdom if he's eventually going to destroy it all in a thousand years? And those are great questions. The simple answer is, and there are many and I'm going to probably start with answer number four first because it's so prevalent in our world today. The, the first answer is, is to deal with excuse makers. To prove that God has always been just and fair because let's face it, you and I, we live in a world full of excuse makers. Excuses like, it was my parents or lack of such. The reason I can't walk with Jesus is because of my upbringing or my culture. I was born this way or the environment grew, I grew up in scarred me or because of the white man, because of the black man, because of the brown man, because of the green man, because of the red man. I mean, it's all somebody else's fault. But we're going to see that in a perfect world, with perfect parents and near perfect ways, we will see that mankind will still rebel against Jesus. Mankind still will blame God and seek to take him out. And not because of their near perfect environment, because of what the Bible declares, that the wages of sin is death. That's all sin can pay out. It's death. Another reason the thousand-year reign is necessary is it will show Jesus' victory over sin and death thus proving he has the right to rule over the earth. The millennial, millennial, millennial age is needed to redeem the earth from under its curse and judgment. During this thousand year, the earth will be restored to its original beauty that God had originally created. After the seven-year tribulation period, the earth is going to be trashed. It's going to be need of being fixed. Only God can do that. And he restores it. And those dwelling on the earth will enjoy its beauty and splendor. I believe what it was like in the Garden of Eden when God first created it. All those dwelling on the earth are going to enjoy that for a thousand years. According to Isaiah 35, the land that was once barren and useless will be restored. And man's perpetual health will be reestablished. According to Isaiah chapter 11, the animal kingdom will be restored. And the wolf will lie down with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the young goat. Does that happen today? Yeah, it does. But when the lamb lies down with the wolf, it doesn't get back up. I mean, but, but see, they say we're living in this right now. Well, you go get a lamb and you will get a hungry wolf and you put them together and you tell me how well that's going to work out for you. So see, they have to cross all of that out. Cross that out. No, that doesn't really mean that. That doesn't really mean that. That doesn't really mean like that. Isaiah 65, 19 speaks of the longevity of life that mankind will experience. The child shall die 100 years old. Is that happening today? Uh, no, that ain't happening today. Uh, Isaiah 2 speaks of world peace. Re Revelation 20 is a limited presentation of what is going to be going on and what's going to be happening on the earth at this time. But as you and I look at the scriptures, we see the curse removed and environmentally the earth will be extremely different. The thousand-year millennial reign is also the time when God will fulfill all of his, uh, his promises to the nation of Israel. That's why Jesus... That's why they thought Jesus was going to fulfill them all at, the, at his first coming. 
Hey, are you at this time going to set up your kingdom? See, they didn't understand he had to come first for the sin, the second to set up his, his kingdom. So he's going to fulfill his promises to them. When the devil is bound for these thousand years, a purification of the world will take place by Christ's coming, both in the world and somehow in man's actions. These dwelling on the earth, the, the sin will not be abolished. Earth, these people living on the earth will still have their flesh and blood. They still will be sinners, but they will no longer be seduced by a devil and they will no longer be living in a godless society, and Christ will be reigning over all of mankind, even as mankind is still in their fleshly bodies during this thousand years, and he'll be ruling and reigning with his transfigured saints. Who's that? That's us. We'll be transfigured. We'll be in our glorified bodies, and we'll be ruling and reigning with Jesus. Now, does that mean I can walk through a wall like Jesus did in John 20, 26? I don't know, but I'm going to try. Boom. Maybe it won't work out. But hey, I'm gonna, I want to give it a try. You know, that's what Jesus did. You can read about it. He, it's like, boom, he showed up. They never opened the door for him. He just showed up. Christ's righteousness during this thousand-year period will be the only law of the land. So those who have somehow survived the seven-year tribulation period without taking the mark of the beast and without turning to Jesus are those who are going to dwell on this earth for a thousand years. And they're going to populate and repopulate. They're still going to be in their earthly bodies, but as long as they don't uh, you know, seek to live righteously, they'll live a thousand years. Should they choose to act wickedly because they'll still have their human nature to deal with? It appears that the Messiah is somehow going to deal with it. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe he just says, hey, uh, Aaron, I need you to go down to you know, a 27 Silver Home place and deal with what's happening there. And boom, you're there. So I don't know how God does it, but we get a great outline as to how this is going to look. No more, polar no more polar ice caps. The whole earth could be like Hawaii, but not with hot temperature or humidity, but perfect. For those living on the earth, I believe there'll be no pain in childbirth, just like there was for Adam and Eve before sin entered the world, but I don't know if that's true. Now, how this all works out, I don't know. But we have enough of an outline to realize, man, there's a lot of stuff that's going to be going on. It's going to be an interesting time and one when you're going to be glad that you trusted in Jesus for salvation today. Because if you don't trust in Jesus for salvation today and somehow you miraculously survive the seven-year tribulation period and you miraculously survive the, the judgment of God because you don't take the mark of the beast, this is, this, this is, your, this is your future. But by the time we finish the chapter, please understand the future doesn't end well for you. Now, all of this is only if you take a literal approach to the Scriptures. And we do. Have you ever heard someone say, you mean you take the Bible literally? Yeah, we do. I mean, that's Satan's favorite line of deception. You, you literally believe all of the Bible? Yeah, I do. I do. People that are like that, we're like on the endangered species list. See, the devil loves to get people to believe the Bible is subject to any man's interpretation. Then man can pick and choose what parts they need to obey and what parts they don't. That's why you can make an erasable Bible. You go to the, to the, to the Bible store and you pick up a Bible. You go to Office Depot and you buy some whiteout and then you get after it. And you can erase anything you don't like and you can just kind of make it the way you like it. In these last days we live in, that's what's going to happen. But for you and I, we need to be those who study to show ourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's us, church. We need to be able to speak truth to people. 
So when the world scoffs at our literal view of the Bible, or the Christian scoffs at the literal view of the Bible, we need to take them into the Scriptures and show them how real the Scriptures are. Because the passages we looked at today, I, I, I will guarantee you, most people that hold to that view, they don't even know they're there. Because they're not encouraged to read their Bible like we encourage you to. So they, they, they may have never even read them. So what happens at the end of the thousand years? Great question. Answered coming up in verse 4 after a very long introduction. And I saw the thrones, and they sat on them. Who is that? Nobody can positively say, so I'm not going to give you their choices because they could all be wrong. And judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads and on their hands. These are the tribulation saints who died for their faith in Christ. And they lived and reigned with, with Christ for a thousand years. That would encourage, this, I mean, think about it. You're one of these that somehow survived the tribulation period, or you're in the middle of the tribulation period, and, 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 and you turn to Jesus. As you were to read this, this would encourage you in the trial of your life, if you were to read this during this seven-year tribulation period and you turn to Jesus. This passage here would encourage you. But the rest of the dead and what awaits these unsaved ones is what the Bible calls the great white throne judgment. The rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection over such a second death has no power. But they shall be, this is all privilege coming up. Tell your neighbor beside you, it's all privilege. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and they shall reign with him a thousand years. It's going to be awesome. So let's define the term here, the first resurrection. The first resurrection began with the resurrection of Jesus Christ and includes the following. All who turn to Jesus as Lord because they believe he died and rose again from the dead for them. Either alive on earth, pre-rapture, or alive in heaven because they already beat us there. That's part of those who are going to be part of the first resurrection. All those who accepted Jesus as Lord after the rapture and all the martyred saints during the uh, seven-year tribulation period and all the Old Testament saints who believed in the promises to come. All of that is part of the first resurrection. Now, let me just say this for a quick moment. I'm not certain that Jesus can be your Savior and not be your Lord and, get, and you still get in. Because my Bible in Romans 10, 9 says that if I confess with my mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart God raised him from the dead, I shall be saved. So, so I'm not certain. I would certainly not want to say, yeah, if Jesus is your Savior, you're going to get into heaven. No, Jesus has to be your Lord. You have to take yourself off the throne of your life and you have to turn to Jesus and, he be, and allow him to be the Lord of your life. And then Paul says, do works befitting repentance. But doing works befitting repentance is simple because Jesus is now the Lord of your life. And I don't know if he's the Lord of your life. Only you can answer that. I can't answer that for anybody but myself. Just something to think about. But this is God's grand plan of salvation called the first resurrection. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive. Please understand, this is all that the devil knows. We spent 30 minutes on, it, on its on it last week. You know, if you missed it, you can get it online. But the devil, he deceives and he offers choice and his only job is to get you to be deceived to take his choice instead of God's choice. So if you missed it, please go listen to it. And so here he comes. 
thousand years are up. He goes out and he does only, the only thing he knows. Satan will go out and deceive the nations, which are in the four corners of the earth. God does not think, or John does not think, that the earth is square. That would be north, south, east, and west. You know, connect all the points, you've got a whole globe. Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. Now, Gog and Magog, if that's not familiar to you, then you don't even need to listen. It's not Ezekiel 38. That battle has already taken place. So why John puts them here? No one even knows. Even the guesses, people go, well, we don't know, but it's a guess, but we don't even know about the guess. So like I said earlier, the earth dwellers and all those born during the thousand-year period have been forced to live a righteous life. They have been. They've known nothing but God's goodness. Life could not have been any better for them for those thousand years. They have absolutely nothing to complain about. They don't have any excuses. Life has been great for them. But what is the devil's job here when he's let loose? After a thousand years of a great quality of life that Jesus brought these earth dwellers, these earth dwellers with still a, with still a sin nature, the devil is going to deceive and persuade these people to rebel against Jesus and follow him instead of Jesus. Now, keep in mind the last time he tried this, a thousand years earlier, he lost at the Battle of Armageddon. So wouldn't you think that some of those that have been alive for a thousand plus years would go, I mean, think about it. The, the, the seven years over, the thousand years starts. Who are those people? Those are the people that survived the Great Tribulation. But they haven't turned to Jesus yet. So there will be people that are alive that can look back at the seven-year tribulation period and go, hey, I know you. Hey, you were the one that deceived all those people last time, and hey, and man, you lost. But nobody does that. I mean, they're, they're going to follow them. Who wants to follow a loser? But that's what's going to happen. See, here's what we need to understand. God has to give these living on this earth choice just like he did us for the love of God to be real in their hearts. I mean, that's what Satan being let loose is half doing here. He's offering these earth dwellers choice just like God placed the tree in the garden to offer Adam and Eve choice. Just like Satan today offers choice to do right and to do wrong. He offers alternatives to get busy doing other stuff rather than doing God's stuff. And please notice, again, they're not going to rebel because of pain or loss or bad family or any of the other excuses that are used today. Their world compliments of Jesus for the last thousand years has been awesome. But once the devil has deceived a multitude of people thinking that they can kill God, verse 9, they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. So Satan's trying a new plan here. His last one was out in the valley of Megiddo. But not this one. This time around, man, he's got the entire city circled. Nobody's going to escape. This one's bulletproof. But failing to look up, fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Can someone say, no battle? There ain't even a shot fired. I mean, what a stupid battle plan of Satan. But listen, team, he knows that. He knows his time is already short. He got kicked out of heaven. He, he, he knows he's done. But see, listen, he takes pleasure and death, and destruction as he deceives these people. He knows he's lost. He knows he's going to lose. And so he's indirectly used by God to offer these thousand-year earth dwellers choice 
between Jesus and the devil, and they chose the devil. Was it because of their environment? Was it because of something happened to them? No, it's because of the sin nature. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. Wow, so much for you die and that's it. I mean, check this out. A thousand years later, because the beast and the false prophet were thrown into the lake of fire at the beginning of the thousand year period. A thousand years later, and the beast and the false prophet have not been annihilated in the lake of fire. So much for that, so much for that bad theology. They're still being tormented. And this is where the great white throne judgment people will go. They are going to be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever and ever. Well, how can you be in a fire and never be consumed? Simple. Only God can do that. Rackshack and Benny were in the fire with Jesus. The only thing that was burned up was their ropes. So God controls fire just like he controls all things. And there will be these in this fire with the devil and they will be burned forever and ever, and ever, never to get out of there ever. It doesn't matter how many candles you burn or how many prayers you pray. They will never get out of this forever, never to be burned up, and yet always to be in torment and will never die. Not going to be pretty. This is what awaits all those who choose to reject Jesus as Lord while presently living their own lives on this earth. Then I saw a great, in terms of authority, white, pure and holy throne, And him who sat on it. Oh, this is all Jesus. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. John 5, 22. And saw on it Jesus, from whom the face, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. I'll tell you what, you don't want to be a part of them here. True believers will not stand before Jesus at this great white throne judgment. Because we were judged at the great wooden judgment the cross of Christ that took away all of our sin. And as we turned to Jesus, we were made righteous. However, we do have our own judgment to face, team. God records it in 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Does that bother you about the bad? Shouldn't. You and I need to understand we're not going to be disciplined or punished for the bad we all did in this body. All of that's just going to be burnt up because the blood of Christ covers over it. However, we will be rewarded based upon what remains. And what will remain is everything that you and I did in Jesus' name that was good. God's Word gives a description of the believer's judgment in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15, where you, we pass through the fire with our works and whatever lasts, that's what you take on to eternity. And yet there'll be people who will go into eternity with nothing but a robe. They're not going to know they're missing out, but let me tell you, they will be missing out. And see, that matches the rest of God's word. Isaiah 65. Oh, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Look at the last part of verse 11. Very clearly it reads, heaven and earth are no more. Anybody confused about that? We find other places like that in the scriptures. Isaiah 65, 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. 2 Peter 3, 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. 
Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Now, if that doesn't happen according to all millennialism, and that, that I couldn't find an answer for. Now they're cutting out other places in the Bible. Now they're cutting out more stuff in the New Testament. So after the thousand years and before the great white throne judgment, everyone who never turned to Jesus ever since God created mankind, everyone who never turned to God in the Old Testament believing the promises to come or turned to Jesus in the New Testament, they are going to stand in their good works before Jesus. No one's going to be able to hide from this great Ryan throne judgment because there is literally no place for them to hide because the heaven and the earth, it's been vaporized. It's vanished. So where are they? I don't know. They're standing out in nowhere, somewhere, nowhere, out in the middle of nowhere. And John writes, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. Please know, this is not a trial. The facts are already in. They're recorded in the books. This is the judgment phase. And books, plural, were opened. And another book, singular, was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in the books. I'll tell you what, I would not want to be judged by the things written in the books to try and get into heaven. As the books, books, plural, were opened, they are condemned by these books. The dead are judged by what the books contain, which we'll see as their works. And these works will condemn them because they refused the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The book of life here at the end of verse 12, the only thing we're going to find in this book is names. And all who have turned to and trusted in Jesus as the master of their life will find their name in this singular book of life. Then death, verse 14, which is a result of sin, and Hades, which is a result of death, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Born twice physically and spiritually, you'll only die once. And that is only to shed this earthly body in exchange for a glorified supercharged one. You know, this outer shell is going to fade away. Now, if it happens at the rapture, well then, hey, we're never going to die. But at death, this one is exchanged and I get a new supercharged one. Born once, though, you're just born physically and not spiritually. This is your second death right here in verse 14, where you will be eternally separated from Jesus in the burning fire where the worm never dies ever, 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 forever. But listen, no one's going to get cast into the lake of fire for their sin. You need to understand this. No one goes to the lake of fire for their sin. No, they go to the lake of fire for their failure to turn to Jesus. See, they're, they're counting on their good works to get them into heaven. Talk to people today. How are you getting to heaven? What, what's their number one answer? By being good, by my good works. They're not going to be judged for their sin. Their sin is not what brings about their trip to the lake of fire because Jesus already died for their sin. But refusing his offer of grace, mercy, and lordship over their lives, they're tossed. Third time I'm saying this, but not for their sin. You and I, we need to understand that. Because when someone says, well, I'm good, well, all you have to say is, well, what about your sin? What? What about the things you do wrong? How are you going to appease God with that? You know, here's what you're more like, well, you know, I haven't really thought about that. need to think about it. 
They're not going to be tossed because of their sin, but because of all of their life, they failed to trust in and turn to Jesus. All the while, the Holy Ghost was trying to call them to himself, and they rejected all of it. And anyone not found written in the book of life singular was cast into the lake of fire. Why? Because they chose to believe the lie and control their own lives rather than turn to and place their lives in our Lord Jesus Christ. One is a lie, and it will kill you now and for all of eternity. And the other is truth, and he will deliver you now and save you for all of eternity. But those are the only two choices. See, what you choose today to believe and walk in determines your destiny for all of eternity, team. See, what you choose today does not mess up God's plan. not only messes up yours. And what you choose today determines your final destiny for all of eternity. Thus, we want to choose wisely. Father, we're thankful for all that you want to do in our lives. And Lord, we want to be 